been where? Where who? Mm, for real. Oh, really? That's how you feel. And the guys be like, asking all them questions. Asking all them questions. Why you asking all them questions? Making statements. Uh, who? Asking all them questions. Asking all them questions. Why you asking all them questions? Making statements. Uh, Alrighty, folks. Welcome to uh, another episode of Misinterpreted. The first of many. Tell your Lundquist with my buddy Ryan Eldridge. Uh, Ryan, I have a question for you. Okay, let's say you have a reality TV series. What's your theme song? My goodness. Well, I'm going to have to go with Eye of the Tiger here. Oh, okay. Okay. For any for any reason, just because well, it's We just got to get the people hyped up, and I think that's what my personality is. It's just always up-tempo, and of course, with that theme song, I think I'm going to cause a lot of havoc in that reality <laughs> TV show, which, of course, that's what you're going to need to do. My mantra is wreak havoc. I mean, have you ever seen the Kardashians? Keeping up with the Kardashians, that's all that is. Drama. That's true. And I think Eye of the Tiger is perfect that's true. for that. I think um, I gave a toast the other day when you were there. I absolutely love it. Um, to all our fellas, I wish you well. If we can't go to heaven, then let's raise hell. I love it. I think and and I so learned that when I was in Scotland and, of course, still have the accent going there. And Scotland. That, and I had to bring that over back over to Pond. It, I it's, think, it's too good. I think it's one of the most embarrassing things that you do now. Saying it like that, Scotland? Yes, I do. Well, I'm slowly becoming European. Are you? Are you? So I, you, know, you know, I spent a couple of weeks in Italy with you in high school. Yep. Spent a month in, you know, spent a month in Europe and Scotland and Sicily and Florence over the summer. Yep. So as you can see, that number is steadily rising. Uh, so That's we true. Don't, I don't, I don't know true. what the future holds, but, you know, we'll have to see. All right. I'll give you, I'll, I'll at least give you that one. Because I know you are a little Scottish, right? Yeah, but one. You've got your own family kilt, Scottish, or what do yeah. they call? What do they call it? They uh, the tartan. The is, tartan. tartan is the yes. pattern on the kilts, right? Um, out of the McDougal clan in God knows where. Yeah. up there in the north. Yeah. Um, but we'll have to get a flag of that to represent the culture. Of course, also three thirty-two Irish as well. So a lot of roots over there. You're three thirty seconds Irish. Correct. But half Chinese. Come on now. And that's one thing that will never change. Anyway, <laughs> none none of your none of your ancestry will ever change. That's none of it will. You will always be three thirty seconds and half Chinese. Anyway, enough about my ethnicity. Let's talk about the great college football season. That yes, was. let's do it. Of course, this season we had great teams come out of the grave. We had Tennessee, LSU is back at it. USC, Oregon, all four of those teams with opportunities to make the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, at the very end, weren't able to take that final step. For me personally, I even though TCU is still in it, mm-hmm. I'm a little disappointed to see the same old Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama so close to getting in as well. What are your thoughts about that? I'm, I think I'm, it makes sense. Okay, at the end of the day, they are the blue bloods for a reason, right? They are the top teams. What does excite me is that over the last few years, there has been more parity in the decision process. And I love the fact that TCU was in the mix. Tennessee was in the mix. USC was in the mix. Um, I, I mean, you just have all these teams. Oregon was in it before they lost to UW Dogs. But I, I, I love the fact that there are Pac-12 teams. There are Big 12 teams. There are ACC teams. Clemson was also in the mix. I mean... There's a lot more parity than I think there was in the past, and I love that there are smaller, 
not really smaller schools, but just other Power 5 schools other than the Blue Bloods. Obviously, Cincinnati gets in a year ago. And I just think it builds a lot more excitement and a lot of parity throughout college football. So I, I obviously understand why they were picked in the top four because they are the best teams. You know, Michigan, Georgia, Ohio State, they are probably the best teams in it um, and in, in the country, and you can't fault them for being chosen. Yeah, and I think, like, at the end of the day, like you said, I think the college football playoff committee eventually got it right. Of course, disappointed to see Ohio State get in sitting on the couch right. on championship Saturday. Right. But at the end of the day, you can't put USC or Alabama up there ahead of them after USC's loss against Utah. But I think this is a really good indication that once we expand to the 12-team playoff, it's going to get really competitive, really really exciting over December and January. You know, like you said, a lot of teams that had chances to get in it but eventually fell short, LSU, Alabama, those type of teams, are able to have a chance to prove themselves in the tournament. Um, and people will say that, oh, Alabama has two losses. They don't deserve to have a chance to win, win it all. But what I say, if Alabama eventually goes on to beat, say, number eight LSU, and then number three TCU, and then Georgia in the championship game, win those three games, who's to say that they don't deserve to be top dog? I think you're right. I mean, I, I, part of me was really hesitant to accept the 12-team playoff, primarily because there's so many games in a year. But at the same time, you know, a lot of these players who are going to be in the 12-team playoff are going to be playing on Sundays. And there's already this huge talk about you know like the the rookie wall the 12 game wall in the NFL it's like once you get to 12 13 games the rookies are all spent because they're used to playing that number of games in a season and they can't really follow through for the rest of the year so I actually think it does ultimately prepare them for the NFL better obviously it's a huge money thing because you're going to get so much more TV deals and and everything that goes with it Um, so I think ultimately it is a good thing the 12 team playoff especially since these teams like Tulane got in the projected top 12 this year, even though they were the number 16 team and bumped out Washington. I mean, you're, you're going to get a team like that almost every year now. And I, I love that aspect of it. It reminds me so much of, of March Madness, which is my favorite thing in the world. Like the Cinderella story, everyone loves that. And the 12 team playoff just brings in that added factor. And I think it's going to be perfect for college football. Right. And in, in addition to that, I think with the 12 team playoff, we're going to, one of the biggest problems with the bowl series right now is, players not playing their bowl games in preparation yeah. for the draft. Yeah. Of course, even with more Perry this year, still a lot of talent at the top being watered down. And I think with the transfer portal, with NIL, we're going to see a lot of those players that would typically stay a few years on the bench at a Georgia or, or an LSU or an Alabama look to schools like, let's say, Utah or Tulane, get right. four years of playing experience. So, when people argue that, hey, the top is still is always going to be the top, I don't think that's going to be the case, especially with the transfer portal now. Now that we have college football uh, free agency, so to speak, and NIL being a big factor in that. But for right now, what we do have is the four-team playoff. We have Georgia, Michigan, TCU, Ohio State. Once again, I think they had it perfectly. USC not able to get the job done losing to utah embarrassingly i believe it was 45 28 certainly blew usc out of the water and it's their second win against usc this entire year and let me tell you like 
Last year, USC went four and eight. They go out and get Lincoln Riley. They go out and get Lincoln Riley's players, uh, Caleb Williams, of course, a Heisman finalist, a Heisman favorite. If you soon to be Heisman winner, we'll get it. We'll get into it. Also, Jordan Addison, amongst a plethora of other players, and I keep hearing USC fans say, especially going from four and eight, eleven and two. You can see the upward trajectory if you were to follow that path. You eventually see 12-1. and 1. You eventually see 14-0 and 0 as hopefully you win the college football playoff. But let me tell you that, and I hate to break it to USC fans, but that is not going to happen. Lincoln Riley's coaching career has been summarized by, at the 11th hour, ultimately failing to get across the finish line. Lincoln Riley is 1-3 in, in Bulls, 0-3 in, in the college football playoff. Of course, in 2017, he loses to Iowa State, unranked Iowa State to lose that first seed in the college football playoff and then lose to Bama in the college football semifinals in you know a crazy overtime game. And in 2019, he also loses to Kansas State, unranked Kansas State, which keeps them from being undefeated going into the college football playoff. Then they need to play number one Georgia, get destroyed by that Joe Burrow team, 63 to 28. And now this year, with a chance to for to have USC make the college football playoff for the first time, fails to deliver again. And not only fails to deliver again, but fails to deliver in embarrassing fashion. And this is the type of team that Lincoln Riley has. You're gonna have great offenses, not great defenses. It's a sexy style of play but ultimately you see the trajectory this is the top of the mountain for usc fans and i'm sorry usc but it's not going to get any better than this when you go to the big 10 next year the year after you're going to be fighting for third place behind michigan and ohio state who are going to and purdue go purdue who are going to out recruit you have better nil and less travels less traveling in that area so i'm sorry lincoln riley and usc this is it this is as far as you're going to get with that head coach. And for a lot of teams, don't get me wrong, a lot of teams and a lot of fan bases would love to see the success year in and year out. But I see a lot of USC fans comparing this to 2005, the early 2000s USC teams that were absolutely dominant. Let me be clear, this is not that team. This is as far as you get. I think you you make a great point the way that you said Lincoln Riley's sexy style of offense he is a master at getting a heisman candidate a heisman trophy winner but at the end of the day how much do those matter you know you can you can get your guys draft stocks risen all you want but if you're a head coach your job is to win and your job is to win titles and lincoln riley is not the guy for it i agree with you i think he's a phenomenal coach but for some reason he can't handle the biggest stage there is and I, I don't know. Like, Caleb Williams has thrived in his offense, obviously. He's the runaway Heisman favorite, okay? But you're right. He cannot win games, and I think he's so caught up in, yes, this sexy style that his offense is great, but defense wins, right? And his defense has not. Yeah, like you said, defense wins. We look at some of the dynasties in college football over the past years. I'm going to talk about namely Georgia. Uh, kind of in the present day as well as Alabama in the past. Georgia and Alabama, great offenses, but have been primarily 
focused on their defense. Alabama, without a quarterback, their best quarterback in the early 2000s, A.J. McCarron. You know, it's, it, it, it was only until recently when they got the likes of Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, Bryce Young, who I think is the best out of that bunch. Um, but, but history shows that, like you said, the defense wins championships. And I know that's cliche to say, but I think in college football especially, that's really important. And Lincoln Riley has proved that he's not able to field a great defense to, to kind of fix his offense when the offense doesn't go. You see his losses at Oklahoma. Um, they're 48-45, 54-51. Yeah, and he, you just have to think that their offense is doing the job, but their defense has to get some stops. Like, my goodness, get it together, Lincoln Riley. He's just not a guy that defensive players want to play for. They know he favors the offense. And so he's never going to draw those defensive recruits the way that a winning team needs to. But that brings me to the point of Georgia. Like Georgia has gone undefeated this season unequivocally the number one team in the country, all behind Stetson Bennett. He's, quite frankly, terrible, okay? Stetson Bennett is not a pro quarterback. He is only good because he's on Georgia. He's a good decision maker, sure, but he is not a good overall quarterback. Okay, here, here's my, here's my uh, flaw with Stetson Bennett, okay? You get 3,400 yards. You... You on the season, you you throw for sixty eight percent completion. You you throw for fewer than four hundred attempts on the year. You have six picks and only twenty touchdowns. That's just not Heisman candidate worthy. Okay, Stetson Bennett absolutely, and he only played three games against the top twenty five. You look at strength of schedule. Max Duggan did better than him in every single category. Fewer passing attempts, thirty touchdowns, four interceptions in six games. Versus top 25 teams. And he went 5-1 and one in those games. The toughest strength of schedule of the four teams in the college football playoff. Max Duggan should get runner-up to Caleb Williams in the Heisman race. But Stetson Bennett shouldn't even be near New York for this, for this award. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you, Tellier. Max Duggan having an incredible year. I want to speak about Georgia for a second. In a year where we have a lot of the teams, like I said, coming back from their graves. Tennessee, LSU, Alabama. UW even, of course, Michigan and Ohio State being huge stories over this year. Georgia has been able to just quietly go along and win, go go undefeated. Of course, they have scares again, Kent State and Missouri. But when it mattered, when they played Tennessee at home, when they played LSU in the SEC championship game, they were able to impress. Um, So I think now that we're getting into the college football playoff, now that only four teams matter, I'm happy to see that Georgia's gaining their respect again as top dog as they deserve but you were talking about Stetson Bennett and his his flaws and him being invited to New York I most of America believes that Stetson Bennett shouldn't be in a Heisman finalist race yeah which is why why is the committee even putting him in there if everyone knows that he's not up to par with everyone else there including the two people I think should have come in fifth and sixth Drake May and Michael Penix Jr. That makes absolutely no sense if you look at the quality of, of, of wins and of output that those two guys put in. Drake May, a freshman who does that at North Carolina, takes them from a pretty okay team to a standard top 25 cemented in the rankings kind of team. Like they, Drake May made that team good. Same with Michael Penix at UW. 
UW was also four and eight. The way you talked about USC's turnaround, UW was four and eight a season ago. Now they're ten and two with a should be Heisman candidate quarterback with Michael Penix Jr. I just I, I do not understand what the committee is looking at. I think when you talk about Drake May and Michael Penix, outside of Stetson Bennett, I find it really hard to put those two in the top three and inviting them to New York. This was a crazy year where I think maybe seven or eight players should have been maybe just invited to mm-hmm. New York for the formality. Mm-hmm. But I think Drake May and Michael Penix are still maybe at least this season. And if you look at the stats, you know, you're going to disagree with me here, but I think there's still a step below the CJ Strouds, the Max Duggins, Hennon Hooker did not get his flowers after he got hurt. Still an incredible season by Hennon Hooker there for Tennessee having them number one in the college football playoff for a little bit there, as well as Bryce Young, who I think had, maybe the stats don't agree with me here, but his best season ever with no with no offensive line and no weapons there at Alabama, a lot of their success was him making magic there at the QB position. But I did want to talk about Stetson Bennett real quickly, and I might play devil's advocate for a little bit here. And I want to preface this by saying, No, I don't think he's a top three quarterback in the nation. The stats clearly prove it. But what has Georgia's problem always been in the past? It has been QBs. Yep. Uh, They go out and get Jacob Eason from nearby Lake Stevens High School. That doesn't work out. They get Jake Fromm, who is able to take them to a championship game, but unfortunately isn't able to get through that hill. They get the Juan Mathis. They get JT Daniels, who, by the way, is in the transfer portal onto his fourth team now once he finds a new spot for him. And then right there all along, you have Stetson Bennett, who's on the bench, has to go to community college and then come back as the starter, now 24 years old, and he's finally able to win them a championship last year, looking like they're the favorites this year. You really have to give him his flowers for taking Georgia over that hump, especially this year where Georgia's weapons aren't the best. Yes, they have Brock Bowers, but outside of that, they don't have amazing receivers. So that's what I do want to say about Stetson Bennett is that people like to downgrade him because he was maybe propped up a little bit by the Heisman committee. But I think people overlook what he is able to be, what he was able to do to this Georgia program who is not able to get over the hump before he got there. Yeah, all credit to his winning ways. I do not deny the fact that he can go out there and win Georgia football games, win them titles. Not denying that. But the Heisman is an individual award. And if you stack him up against the other seven, eight guys who deserve to be there more than him, he doesn't stand a chance for an individual award. Okay? If you look at any other award, a finals MVP, the best player in the series alone, not on the best team. Obviously, it goes to the winning team, but it's, it's, it's like Jeremy Pena wins it for the Astros because he was the best in that series. He's not the best on the team. He was the best in that series. And Stetson Bennett was never the best. In He was never the best in any given year. Now I'm going to push back a little bit on what you said, that it is an individual award. I think MVPs, that is what the Heisman is at the college football level. Excuse me, college football level has always in part been sort of a a team a team award. You don't see MVPs being drawn out from teams that don't make the playoffs. And I think if you know if it was truly a team award, award, you'd see 
players like Bryce McBride out of UAB, who has the most rushing yards this year and a great in a great running back class be invited. So I think part of, like you said, part of that bias is because they're undefeated. And I think there is some, there's some merit to, to that because that happens at all levels of every sport. If that's the case, how does Lamar Jackson win at Louisville? They're a good team. They were not college football playoff worthy. Well, you look at Lamar Jackson and again, you, he had an incredible year in his, in his junior campaign where he rushed for, God knows how many yards. The next year, he played just as well and wasn't even close to being invited to New York. So you see that being... Well, he had already won one. Exactly. So so at one point, it is a narrative-driven driven award. And Stetson Bennett, you know, having to go to junior college, having to come back and then winning a Georgia national title. The narrative... Once again, I don't... If I were to choose, he wouldn't be invited to New York. But I can see from the voters' perspectives how MVPs work at all levels, why he would be invited. Fine. But he does not deserve it. Absolutely does not. It is, I, I hate the fact that it's a narrative award. The same way I hate that America's Got Talent gives golden buzzers to anyone with a sob story. It's the same <laughs> thing. It's the same thing. Oh, you play some sad music. You talk about how you had some hardships in your life. Everyone has hardships, okay? Good job. You got a, a sad soundtrack over the top, and you got the golden buzzer because you cried after singing a sad song. It's the same thing with Stetson Bennett. I have no pity. Like you see, that's that you know that story, that narrative driving the MVPs, affecting all areas of media and all areas of life. Like you said, in reality TV as well. Another Heisman candidate, though, that eventually, after being hurt, wasn't able to go to New York. People thought he was surely going to be one of the top three. Blake Corum. Yeah, Blake Corum with. 1,463 yards, 9.3 yards per carry, and 18 touchdowns, wasn't invited. And I think, and this is, I might get a lot of flack for saying this, I think, quite frankly, he is quite overrated. Another, Interesting. Another player, Izzy Abanacanda out of Pitt, 1,431 yards, 6 yards per carry. That's .1 more yards per carry. And two touchdowns wasn't even close to being in that picture. And then we also have great running backs such as Mo Ibrahim, Bijan Robinson, Chase Brown, just to name a few. I think people put Blake Corm on a pedestal, and like you said, a narrative-driven, or I said, narrative-driven award. You know, Michigan being the number two team in the country for the entire year. Surely, someone on that team needs to go to New York. But if you want to do that. Give it to the entire offensive line. Donovan Edwards, I know he had a smaller sample size, but seven and a half yards per carry throughout mm-hmm. the year. Yep. Getting 200 yards against Penn State, leading the ho- leading the Rock in the second half against Ohio State. Like, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always going to be underrated, uh, underrated performances throughout the year, and that's what frustrates me the most about the Heisman is that it has turned in to a team award, which I absolutely despise. It's about individual performance and how much of your team's productivity that you can take on. I think that's a huge part of it. If you can turn your team around based on your sole individual performance, you are Heisman worthy. That's why I think Michael Penix Jr. gets in there. Obviously, I think Caleb William does that um, with Lincoln Riley's sexy offense and why all the names that you mentioned go underrated. And It's frustrating to me, but anyway... Whatever. So, tell her. On yeah. the count of three, we say our Heisman winner. Okay. Okay. One, two, three. Caleb, Caleb Williams. Williams. Caleb Williams, minus 1,200. 
last time I checked on the Caesar Sportsbook, surely going to win the Heisman. Yep. Of course, now is the time of the year where we get into college football free agency. Some of the big names, Devin Leary out of NC State, great year last year, injured this year, not as good, as well as DJ Uyangalale. Oh, who, that was well done. You did well with that. That's good. I've been practicing it in the car. <laughs> uh, who was benched for Cade Klubnik, and rightly so. Yeah, rightfully so. That, that QB battle at Clemson was such a shit show yep. the entire year. Yep. You did see Dabo saying, oh, DJ's our quarterback. Cade saying, oh, DJ's our quarterback. But on the field, DJ just wasn't able to mm-hmm. get it done. As he looks into greener pastures, I have a few teams that yeah. he could potentially go to. You got Oregon. If Bo Nix decides to transfer, mm-hmm. not transfer, declare for the yep. draft. Yep. He has one year left at eligibility. Um, but I'm afraid that his draft stock isn't as high as he wants It's to. in the toilet. Of course. Well, he has a bowl game to prove it. Um, uh, but you, I, you, don't, you think he plays? You think he starts I that game? I think he has to. I think he has no, that's to. That's bold. You think he has to that's or he bold. goes back for another day game. Of course, they don't trust Ty Thompson. We saw Bo Nix get injured yep. in the Washington game. Yep. Uh, so if... Bo Nix decides to enter the draft. I see uh, DJ Uyong. Excuse me. So Second close. time is not so the close. DJ U go to <laughs> Oregon under Dan Lanning. Uh, FSU also Travis Jordan Travis probably declaring for the draft. Florida Anthony Richardson as well as Kentucky's Will Levis all possible spots for the former five star. But my front runner for getting DJ U will be Chip Kelly's UCLA. You see Dorian Thompson-Robinson in his fourth year going to leave, declare for the draft, or maybe grad year. We'll see what he ends up doing. Um, but DJU, a, from St. John Bosco High School out of SoCal, this would be a great homecoming for him in a Chip Kelly offense where Dorian Thompson-Robinson has gotten better every year. So I, I see DJU, especially this year, being able to use his legs more as he's a you know, proved to be a subpar passer. Chip Kelly having the ability to develop young QBs. I think that would be a perfect spot for him. I, I can't blame you there. All right. Uh, next episode, we'll talk about uh, the bowl schedule coming up and uh, more on it's an, it misinterpreted next time. For Ryan Eldridge and Taylor Lundquist, we appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you next time. Asking all them questions, why you asking all them questions, making statements, uh, asking all them questions, asking all them questions, why you asking all them questions, making statements, uh,